Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, and welcome to The Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. The whole reason why I do this podcast is because I'm obsessed with pop culture. I really do feel like the cultural things that go viral or become popular are a reflection of who we are as a people, for better or worse. It tells us a little bit more about who we are and perhaps where we're going. You see examples of it everywhere. Just look at the impact of reality TV in our everyday lives. No matter what your politics are, you have to admit that the power of pop culture catapulted a reality TV show host to the presidency. That alone should show you how potent the power of pop culture is. I remember as a kid being obsessed with certain shows or celebrities. For example, Tammy Faye Baker. On the surface, she was just this weird religious lady who should not have mattered to my life at all. But there was something about her that I just loved. It wasn't religious. It was it was cultural. I wanted to understand why someone like that, someone like her, could become famous. And I knew there was something about her that I just connected to. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was there. Then in 2000, I saw this documentary called The Eyes of Tammy Faye, directed by Fenton Bailey and Randy Barbato and narrated by RuPaul. I'm not kidding you. Watching that documentary was like meeting a friend for the first time and just hitting it off immediately, like we had known each other all of our lives. If Finn and Randy were able to basically explain why I loved Tammy Faye and RuPaul got it too, then there must be something about them as creators and curators of pop culture that just clicked with me. Finn and Randy would go on to start World of Wonder, their production company that basically is dedicated to creating works related to all of the pop culture references that I'm obsessed with. And of course, they created RuPaul's Drag Race, which in many ways has become the vestige for all the pop culture references a person like me needs. So when I learned that Fenton Bailey was writing a book called Screen Age, How TV Shaped Our Reality, from Tammy Faye to RuPaul's Drag Race, I knew I needed to talk with him about it. In the book, Fenton does a fantastic job of basically explaining why TV and pop culture in general matters to our lives and how it's impacted our lives. Honestly, if you're anything like me, you need to get this book. So go on, grab a snack, because I'll be right back with Fenton Bailey. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. 
Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. What made you want to write the book, Screen Age? You know, I wanted to write the book because growing up, I always loved television. And I sort of gradually realized my love of television wasn't sort of shared in terms of high culture, you know? Mm. It was just considered this lowly medium, this sort of poor imitation of the movies. And so for a long time, I just thought I had bad taste or I was a bad person, you know? (laughs) Um, And, you know, I read English at Oxford, so I had a a really good education. Uh, And so I've always felt slightly guilty that my career choices have been the wrong ones, not what one is supposed to do. And it's funnily enough, it's weirdly parallel to being queer that Mm -hmm. sort of, you just gradually realize, Oh, how I feel about things isn't the way other people feel about things, which is fine because we all have different tastes and interests. But then when you are made to feel bad or people start treating you badly, Mm -hmm. you think, well, what is going on? And I think at first the natural thing is to blame yourself. Yeah. And then it's taken many years and decades. So hang on a second. Yeah. Something is wrong here. There's nothing wrong with being queer and there's nothing wrong with television. Quite the reverse. They're both fabulous. And so that's why I wrote the book to set the record straight, as it were. And that's what's so fascinating about it is that like what I relate, I've always related to your work, but what I've related to what you wrote in the book so much is that like when I was a kid, I was raised Mormon. So of course, Tammy Faye was like, a big figurehead for me. I knew, but, but I knew her of her because of other reasons, because of the religious reasons, but there was something about her that I was like, I get this person. There's something about this person that I get and no one else gets. And it's different from how other people are looking at her. And in the book and in the, of course the documentary film that you guys did. And, and of course the film, I talked to Jessica Chastain and her and I were saying that like, you guys are, you curated pop culture of the last sort of like 30 years in a lot of ways, in little ways. And and Tammy Faye was a big part of that. And there's something about the way when you decide to focus on a project, for example, do you know it's going to be a pop culture relevant figure like a Tammy Faye or like what you did with Monica, which I want to get to, or like so many other things? Do you know they have relevancy? No. But it's like we're like sort of jackdaws or magpies, you know, we're like these bright, shiny things that we're attracted to. And we don't always know why we're just drawn to them. Mm. And so the book kind of came out of like all these bright, shiny things that we've been drawn to over the years. What do they have in common? Because that's a question often get asked. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, people say, well, you've done drag race, you've done Maplethorpe, you've done Monica, you've done all these sort of different, what, what is the connection? Mm -hmm. And that's a really good question that I've sort of been thinking on and thinking well, there is a connection, actually, because, yes, Tammy Faye was a televangelist. But like you, I didn't watch tele- Tammy Faye because of my faith. Yeah, I watched it because of her. Well, basically, I was going to say because she was camp, but that sounds a little bit of a side issue. No, because of her fabulousness, her yeah. sort of her fundamental love of people as they are, mm-hmm. which is so contrary to the Christian thing of, you know, you're doomed, you're sick, you're yeah. wrong, you're evil, you're going to hell. You know, she didn't do that. Um, And that's why you and I, I think, really loved her. Yeah. Yeah. And there is something 
She was so indicative, I think, of uh, the 90s and the documentary film that you guys did. It changed the narrative of Tammy Faye in a way that now people look back. I mean, I remember being obsessed with her, the talk show she had with Jim J. Bullock. Like I I religiously watched that as like a 10 year old, which is ridiculous. And it's you change the narrative on sort of this person who albeit should have probably been canceled in a lot of ways. And, and we were able to see her in a different way. Do you, I mean, do you see that as well? I think it's about saying the quiet part out loud. And I think it's like, and that can just take a moment to figure out what, what it is, because it is the quiet part. Like put it this way, have Tammy been outspoken and pro gay and identified that way. And if Tammy had said, you know, on PTL, I'm a drag queen, which mm-hmm. she subsequently said in Lady Earth, but had she said all that stuff, she would have been canceled. She yeah. wouldn't have got to do the work she did. She wouldn't have touched people the way she was able to. Yeah. And so I think that's really important is that, you know, the quiet part is that popular culture is queer culture because it's yeah. the way we can exist and be seen. Mm-hmm. And yet we also have to be sometimes not in the closet about it, but sort of discreet about it. Yeah. Because if you state your agenda up front, you'd be canceled. Mm-hmm. I look at Andy Warhol and think that he was very savvy in that respect. Everything he did was actually about not being taken seriously. You know, he made all these and, and people didn't take him terribly seriously. Now, of course, He's revered as the architect of our modern times and recognized. But at the time when I was in East Village in the 80s, he was seen as a a has-been, you know, but he was doing some of his most provocative work. So it is, um, it's about saying the quiet part out loud, but also knowing when to say it (laughs) and also knowing when not to say it. So you don't get canceled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, there's also something about like with, with Monica Lewinsky, who's a big, what so surprised me about, the when you guys did the Monica and black and white documentary or feature and it was 2001 which really blew me away that it was just a couple of years after the scandal and the way in which I remember I, mean, I was a kid during the scandal but I, I remember thinking like this woman's getting bullied and now in hindsight we know she was really the first victim of sort of online bullying like she was the very first of it because it was at the dawn of social media and internet and whatnot and you guys really honed into the idea that like this woman is misunderstood. And that's a big part of sort of why queer people, I think, obsess over pop culture figures like Tammy Faye, like Monica, even like in Drag Race, like RuPaul. Like we obsess over people who are sort of misunderstood. What do you think it was about Monica Lewinsky? And you write about it in the book. But what do you think it was about her that made her such a, a figure for needing to be redefined? Yeah, was, you know, Monica's journey is so fascinating in the way that now she has become a figurehead of the Me Too movement, a figure, you know, of and also a figurehead against bullying and stuff. Uh, at the time, though, it was such a difficult experience. Not, I mean, good lord for her, almost impossible. I have no idea how she survived yeah. what she went through. You know, yeah. I, I could, I, I couldn't. But even when we made the film and and took it to the Television Critics Association. They were just really awful to her and people just weren't ready to hear it. And the sort of the thing that I, I love to remember is that, uh, you know, the very same stage a few minutes later out walked Rudolph Giuliani, who was given a hero's welcome. Yep. 
And boy, had the tables turned. Yeah. Because we now know that Rudolf Giuliani was a, a self-serving, fantasist, delusional, mm-hmm. race-baiting, virus-spreading fantasist and liar. I mean, mm-hmm. it's extraordinary, really. But we're seeing this a lot now, I guess. You know, I, I think sometimes about Britney Spears, too. Yeah. Um, a figure who just had the hardest time when she was a big star at the media and and now well you know it's just sort of been through this tempestuous roller coaster ride i guess she's still on it actually really yeah 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 and yet it was you know it was one it was a super fan cara cunningham um then known as chris crocker who made one of the first viral videos you know yeah. leave britney alone yeah and you write about that mocked. you write about Britain, that yeah yeah he was mocked and bullied for that. Yeah. And yet he spoke the truth yeah. at a time no one was willing to listen. Well, and know? that's, that's, he's, you're so right. That's so indicative of, I mean, I remember as a kid going to school, being the queer little kid, and I was talking about like Kathy Bates and Shirley MacLaine because I was, obs- and I was like an eight year old obsessed with her. It was, it was obsessed with them. And it, and I, I quickly learned that my obsessions did not mesh with how other people were what they were obsessing over. And the same thing with, with Chris Croker in a way that, that he was obsessed with Brittany in a fan way, of course, but there was something about the empathy in which we see these figures like a Tammy Faye, like Monica, like Brittany that were begging people. You have to pay attention, but they, I think it's worth saying actually just jumping on that, that, you know, Chris now, now Cara Cunningham trans had the empathy and compassion and a bravery to speak the truth. Yeah. And and paid a price for it, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think you're absolutely right that that is what I, I think at our best, the queer community has compassion and empathy yeah. and is welcoming and inclusive of mm-hmm. of everybody and, and everybody in their freakishness, you know? Yeah. And the paradox of Brittany is that She's not freaky at all. Actually, the, the Britney reveal is that she's normcore. Yeah. You know, yeah. and he said, I'm just a normal, boring person. Yeah. And no one, everyone refuses to believe that. But that's her truth. Yeah. She is. She's kind of a normal, boring person. Yeah. Which is, I mean, uh, kind of what's fascinating about her in a way. Yes, yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. The other thing that you write in the book, which I also find fascinating, and it was a big part of my sort of upbringing was Holding, I think, the queer community accountable for the actions of the excess, speaking of Party Monster and the film Party Monster and sort of like how you guys, I mean, you you directed the film and you're a big part of sort of telling that story of Angel and and the, the travesty that happened to him. But also, in a weird way, the excess of sort of like the 90s and club kid culture and how that kind of just exploded in a way that was dangerous. And I love that you're you. You write about it so well, but also that the film kind of shows a different take on sort of queer culture in the 90s. What was it about Party Monster that you felt was so important to tell that story? I think we, Randy and I, loved the club kids. They were just so sort of um, iconoclastic. And ridiculous sounds like I'm judging them. Ridiculous in a, in a as a praise, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, And that they... You know, they weren't taken seriously in the club scene, which was very hierarchical, as as many communities are. So they just did their own thing, you know, and that was great. The sort of rule breaking was so refreshing. And then, of course, the flip side of that is, uh, you know, a world with no rules is a real moral dilemma. Yeah. And 
I do, you know, it was, it's a, there's nothing wrong with being gay. And, and in the same sense that, that, that means it doesn't mean you're a saint and mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you're a sinner. You are like everybody else capable of both extremes. Yeah. And I felt because we were fortunate enough to be right there as that story unfolded, mm-hmm. that it was an important, that we could tell it, tell that story. And it was an important story to tell. Yeah. And you did it in a way that I think, Outside of the actual story, what I love about it is that you cast Macaulay Culkin, who in and of himself is a nostalgic pop culture point of reference for an entire generation of kids who at that time, when the film came out, would have been becoming, at least the queer kids like myself, would have been becoming adults. I was moving to New York City. I was living in my first adult queer life. And to see Macaulay Culkin, someone who was a childhood like familiar for me to be in a movie like Party Monster... I mean, pardon my French, but it was kind of a mind fuck in a wonderful way because it just it was so perfect. And it was in a weird way, kind of like exactly what a lot of queer people needed to see straight people doing those queer roles in that way, even though now it probably would be totally different. Why did you cast Macaulay? What was it about Macaulay that was perfect for that? We cast Macaulay because we wrote the movie script for Macaulay. There was no one else in our mind's eye that we just wrote it for him, mm-hmm. which was a very rash thing to do because Macaulay had retired and yeah. that kind of made it plain. He had no intention of ever acting again. Yeah. Certainly didn't have a need to do it, you know, and and had himself been damaged by fame and had seen fame kind of tear apart his family relationships to some extent and yeah. just been through that mill. And so I think paradoxically that's what appealed to him about the role and really it was thanks to seth green's love of the script and desire to play james seth really got macaulay on board because i don't think without him that would have happened but it really was perfect in the sense that i think mac's own experiences in life were a parallel in in some ways to michael alig mm-hmm. um macaulay Culkin had had fame thrust upon him, mm-hmm. Michael Ehrlich had sort of sorted out desperately. Yeah. But even though they had different journeys, it was about, you know, fame and how do you behave in the public eye and, and conjuring, um, you know, the attraction to and the danger of mm-hmm. the limelight. I don't mean the limelight nightclub. I yeah. mean yes. the limelight <laughs> fame, you know, yes. fame and its discontents. And I think Macaulay knows all about that. Totally. Um, Totally. And the other thing, just moving on a little bit to the culmination of sort of all because World of Wonder in a, in a way has sort of been around since you guys were doing videos in the 80s in New York. I mean, just short little <laughs> videos in the 80s. And what I love is that Drag Race is sort of the culmination of all of this study of pop culture references and the work that World of Wonder has been doing for the past 30 years or whatever that. Now it's Drag Race is sort of the, the 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 vestige of all of that knowledge put into one thing. And the reference, I get so angry when a queen doesn't know who such and such is or who doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, because I, I feel like I've been on this journey with World of Wonder and studying these things. And when the videos of Rue, the videos that you and Randy did of Rue in sort of like New York in the 80s of in you guys' apartments and the crazy, when those things go viral, it's sort of like the early Smithsonian pinpoint of sort of like drag culture in the eighties in a way. And it, what do you think drag race has done and drag in general and your relationship with RuPaul over the years has done to sort of make 
pop culture references that we love that were so queer and so niche mainstream? Well, you know, you, you're sort of actually making me tear up a bit here, like because I'm thinking back to those days, and it is bizarre and sort of magical the way that the things Randy and I were doing in the East Village in the in the 80s yeah. of all sort of, you know, you're right. That, They're still you know, relevant. Knowing Rue is it's it's been a lot. I mean, Rue really is family. It's a long, long relationship. Um, Theron Smothers, who works at World of Wonder, has worked there since we made Party Monster of a documentary. That's how we found Theron. He was a club kid yeah. who had a video camera and took lots of videos. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's the whole thing is like a sort of a, the evolution of a family. And and I think though that the this I this was where Randy and I saw this, what we thought was a new kind of drag. You know, it wasn't the Kajo full drag. I love it, by the way. I'm not yeah. shading that. Yeah. I'm just saying that the East Village drag was kind of like everything in the kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. And actually, really, it wasn't about gender. What it was, was about TV. It was taking commercials, cartoons, all dynasty, all, yep. everything you saw on TV, it took, put into the blender and spat out, yeah. you know, RuPaul would lip sync to champagne commercials. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's, that is what this drag is. And, and, and so where I'm going with this is just to say that I don't believe that kind of drag was ever a niche mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. It was always mainstream because it's always been both celebrating and parodying the culture of the mainstream, yep. uh, specifically everything that's on TV. Mm-hmm. So Dragon TV, they're like peanut butter and, and jelly. Yeah. And they just belong together. And I mean, you know, it's taken a long time for that perfect match to be made. But, yeah. but they, you know, drag is a perfect creative medium for these sort of performative times we live in. I really mm-hmm. believe that. And, yeah. and someone once said to us, oh, you know, you've done such a great thing. You've given a platform to niche voices. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not, it's, it's, that's not what we've done. Yeah. What we've done, if we've done anything is show that stuff misperceived as niche. Yeah. It's in fact mainstream and relevant to ever, you know, like Bruce says, you're born naked and the rest is drag, right? And everybody's born naked and we're all in drag, you know, just trying to survive, just trying to survive. Just trying to, yeah, it's so true. And it's so, what's so fascinating about it is that I remember I interviewed Rue a couple years ago and she had, I I mentioned the episode of Murder She Wrote that had a drag queen in it. And he was able to tell me the episode number, the episode season, the, the actors in it. I mean, it's the point where when you hear someone who can do that, which I can do as well, it's like, there's this kinship of like, we both like these weird things and they're influencing our lives in ways that shouldn't be influential, but they are because it's, it's shaping who we are as people in a way. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Don't mess with Rue about murder. She wrote <laughs> no, every single line from every single episode. Iconic. But that's the point, you yeah. know, we are, we're the kids of TV yeah. and the, you know, that, again, that's why I wrote the book, because you know, I've read plenty of books saying what a terrible evil TV is. The Age of Missing Information, yeah. Amusing Ourselves to Death, all these really judgmental books about television written by academics. And I was like, hang on a second. I went to university. I read English. I can write. Yeah. I know that this is not true. 
yeah. you know, and the, there's another point of view to say here. And I think it, the, one of the biggest problems is people think TV is just a failed version of the movies. It's not, but they're, they're completely different. Yeah. The movies is about, you know, stars. Look at those big stars. Mm-hmm. Um, Nicole Kidman, you know. Yeah. And TV and TikTok is about, let's see behind the scenes. Let's yeah. kind of make fun of it. It's It's another yeah. level. It's another layer. I started in stand-up, and part of what I love about stand-up, which is the same as TV, is that there's an intimacy of, like, I'm watching this to get another aspect of life that is not really familiar to me, but somehow I relate to. And that's why we love it and we do it. Absolutely. A thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do have to ask you about one topical question, because I love what World of Wonder is doing with the Drag Defense Fund. And I, I find it shocking right now that there's there's so much happening in the world against drag. I wanted to know why you started the why why World of Wonders doing the Drag Defense Fund and taking part in it and and what your thoughts are on the moment that's happening right now. Uh, we're doing the Drag Defense Fund because Randy talked to the ACLU and um got MTV involved and they made a very sizable donation. So that's that's you know that's all really good. And we won't be able to donate to that because to fight this, it's more than pushing back, clapping back on social media, which is great. Yeah. At the same time, these are laws that need to be overturned, repealed, or laws that you know need to be derailed from being passed in the first place. And for that, we need the ACLU, who like a hundred years of experience of fighting these civil liberty, civil rights issues, because that's what this is. Mm-hmm. It's plain and simple. So we thought it was necessary to do that. Um as for this moment, you know, three things. One, people have tried to turn the clock back many, many times. I remember in the in the eighties or nineties, it was it was lyrics and rap music that yeah. was what was going to corrupt the children. Yeah. And then in you know more recently, it's been the bathroom debate of like the, the mm-hmm. fear of trans people in in a bathroom that they're going to assault people. None of these things have ever happened. And now it's the drag queens. You know, it's like these are panics deliberately created, fires being set to draw attention away from the complicated, fundamentally complicated, challenging problems that we face. Well, like gun control, climate control, jobs. It's a distraction, and it's actually no different than the bullies at school. We know about the bullies at school. Mm-hmm. They can't deal with their own shortcomings. They pick on the person they perceive to be the weakest, and that's what this is. And so, you know, just to say we do have to fight back, mm-hmm. and in addition to clapping back on social media, which is important and does feel great, you know, yeah. Um, I think the Drag Defense Fund is really important and that, you know, we should tip our queens and we should also contribute to this to to really put a stop to it. Because it isn't just this one law in Tennessee. There's a lot more. Yeah. And the last thing I will just say on this is that these all these attempts to turn the clock back, the one thing we know from all of history is that they always fail. And so, you know, the outcome is guaranteed. It it will not work. Um, The tragedy is that, you know, people will suffer because of it. Um, But which, again, is why we have to fight back so that the least people 
the least people suffer the least, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, Finn, I can talk to you probably all day about all whole sorts of issues and things, but I don't want to take all your time. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And everyone should go get Screenage because it is, I mean it when I say I loved it. I feel like I'm, I was reading it and I was listening to every conversation I have with every single friend of mine. I mean, it literally is the things we talk about. So thank you for writing in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can you quote uh, Murder, She Wrote like RuPaul and I can? Because it's a gift. It's a gift. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. I hope you're able to leave a little rating and review wherever you're listening to this episode right now because it would really help the show and I would appreciate it. For the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all the social platforms. And while you're at Newsweek, go on and subscribe to the For the Culture newsletter. It comes from me and it's a lot of fun. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day. After being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. She's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The Parting Shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.